Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Lori Borowitz, President of Kishwaukee College, as our guest. Okay, that's great. Well, I always love to start off uh, with with you, um, and I'd love to learn about you know who are the who are the mentors that have helped shape your journey to the presidency. I feel like I've had a lot of people who have been positive influences on my life, and I do feel fortunate uh, to have had. Uh, people who've surrounded me who've been supportive of higher education who saw the value even in uh, getting good grades in K-12 education, just overall the importance of that. Uh, My uncle was a superintendent of schools. My dad was a teacher his entire life. So I I grew up uh, in a circle of educators and I definitely think, think that framed my perspective. Interestingly enough though, when I went off to college, I was not gonna be in education. I had determined that I was setting a different um, course for my life and actually got a business degree as an undergrad, but lo and behold, managed to find my way back into higher education for so many reasons, and that's, that's a long discussion. But, but I really think that it is all through life, what's so significant is who, who we come in contact with and finding that person who really helps us. Um, gives us the boost to go to the next level or the next step and helps us find that confidence um, and maybe sees and th- us and sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. So I would say uh, probably the most influential was my boss prior to me becoming a president, the president I worked for for six and a half years. Her name was uh, Dr. Lori Wires. She recently retired. She retired about a year ago, and uh, she really, when she came to the college that I was working at, she talked to me about, you know, getting my doctorate, uh, looking for what's next, um, taking those steps. Uh, I got overwhelmed at times and kind of tried to pull back, and she'd be like, nope, nope, we're going forward. You're going to do this. And it's interesting because I feel like what was really awesome about her relationship is that she was always on my side. And, and after I left and became my own president, I felt like our relationship changed, but she stayed, she stayed beside me. And I felt like she became a peer and just someone who helped me understand this crazy world of being a president. And she, um, she really helped me work through some of the challenges. And I do think in these jobs, we definitely need people who help us not only get here, but stay here. And I really felt like she did that for me. And I I remember saying to her shortly after I took the job, I'm like, why did you encourage me to do this? This is a really hard job. And she said to me, but you know, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to lead our colleges in our country and and you can do it. So I would say that she was definitely uh, the biggest mentor um, beyond my family. Absolutely. So um, your dissertation, what was your dissertation about? Presidential Perspectives on Leading Organizational Change. And what type of changes have you seen in your seven years uh, at at school? So I'll I'll, I'll (laughs) go to begin, right? Yeah, I'll give a little context to why I chose that topic for my dissertation. Sure. I was was starting my doctorate at the time the state of Wisconsin 
was uh, enacting Act 10, which basically stripped a lot of the collective bargaining rights of unions. Scott Walker was the governor at the time and was making a, a lot of changes. And of course, as unions uh, no longer have the same authority or rights uh, in, in our public sector work, it was going to mean some significant changes for our colleges. And so uh, I interviewed, there are 16 technical colleges in Wisconsin. So I interviewed all but my boss, uh, my president, I interviewed the other 15 um, presidents. And it was, it was an amazing experience um, to be able to spend a couple hours with each of those presidents and really get into, yes, leading change, but just really the leadership uh, of a president. And, and it was uh, really awesome work. Of course, the research was helpful. And little did I know that when I became a president, I would be facing so many changes. And we, so I started in Illinois in the middle, not even in the middle, in the beginning of a two-year budget impasse. I actually came in at right after the end of the first semester of that. And we had not prepared for the uh, financial hit that we were taking with not having state money. I mean, I, I think most colleges, when they don't have state resources, uh, I really start to feel the pain. So had to uh, make a lot of change. My third week on the job, we laid off 49 people. Mm. I, relied on, I relied on the staff that was there, the, the vice presidents who had put together the plan, and we started to make the change. Kishwaukee College had experienced a 27% enrollment decline between 2012 and 2015 uh, when I arrived there in January of 16 and really hadn't made many organizational changes for losing over a quarter of their enrollments. So uh, I learned a lot in the beginning of my, of my tenure and we really had to go on a journey of looking at how do we do things and how do we do it differently and really how do we start to focus on our students and make it a great experience for them when I interviewed, I definitely interviewed as a transformational leader and the college community said that that's what they were looking for. But I think this is pretty typical that while everybody says they want change, they want everybody else to change and they don't want to have to change themselves. So it was a, a pretty interesting um, experience going through um, transforming that organization and having to get our finances in order so we could make payroll and do those things. Then uh, we did not, the, the enrollment decline did not stop. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we did a ton of analysis of what was happening. Bottom line is we are six miles down the road from Northern Illinois University, who has had also been experiencing a, a similar enrollment decline. And, and while many thought that we were competitors, we absolutely were not competitors. We were partners because as went the enrollments at Northern Illinois University, went the enrollments at Kishwaukee College. And so as, as our communities and as we struggled with a, an, an, an average of 7% enrollment decline a year, we continued to have to make changes and we had to settle contracts. You know, union, we have three unions. We had to, you know, people needed to feel good about the work they were doing and going through the change. Yeah. And, um, and then COVID and then COVID hit and then we had all those changes, but I, I have said over, over the course of, of dealing with COVID that it, it was not the worst thing I faced as a president. I feel like the changes we made leading up to COVID 
doing more online, having more systems and resources to support our students in online instruction and using technology to help help our systems and, and do the things we needed to do to help support our students through the college process really set us up uh, to be in a good place to, to go to remote and to figure out how to navigate um, our, our college as we were going online. So I, I really think that we have done a lot of change and the last, I have to say that the last year and a half have, have been um, a different experience for me as a president because I think it took us six years to change the culture. And I think we've changed the culture and now we understand the need to continue to practice some continuous improvement and always be looking at what's coming next and look at our opportunities. And I do not believe our college was at that place when I arrived in 2016. So has, has the definition of student success, has, has that changed or is that, is that different post-pandemic to pre-pandemic? I don't think that the definition of student success has changed since we started talking about student success when it kind of became a buzzword, what, probably 12 yeah. years ago. I actually uh, was uh, put in charge of co-leading a initiative in the state of Wisconsin when I was a vice president there, a student success initiative where the 16 technical colleges kind of got together and said, we're going to figure this we're going to figure the student success stuff out. We're going to define what does it look like for our colleges and what are the metrics we're going to use and, and what are some of the things we're going to do and looking at some best practices. So that was a, a really wonderful experience for me to work with my peers and really dive into what student success looked like. You know, it, to me, it's really about how our students um, achieve their goals, like success to everybody looks a little bit different. I think institutionally, we define success as completers. We want them to complete their credential or re reach their occupational goals. Sometimes our students aren't looking for a full-blown degree. They're just looking for some learning. I think one of the things that had started pre-pandemic and has definitely uh, continued and increased is this idea of uh, chunking our learning and doing micro credentials. We're, we're, so instead of waiting for two years to give someone a credential for the work they've done at our college, let's give them something after a semester, after they've mastered a certain set of skills. So then if they leave our institution with the, with the knowledge they were seeking, they still get a credential. They still have graduated from something in higher education. They can come back down the road and get additional and add on to it. But it's, it's, it's helping by giving the certificates, diplomas, uh, degrees in smaller chunks, we allow more people to be graduates and successful completers. And it looks like successful completers on paper. And I think that that's a really important thing for our students. There's no doubt. Um, I believe one of the biggest, you know, I'm a product of universities. I've got degrees from three of them. Um, but but living in the world of community college for the last you know 20 plus years, the difference really is why people come to our institutions. People go to universities to get a four-year degree for the most part. Yeah. People come to community colleges for all sorts of reasons. They don't know English. They didn't finish high school. They want to upskill some credentials. They got laid off of their job and need and have funding, right? They have funding to help them get 
skills so that they can get reemployed. They come for an associate's degree so they can transfer to a university, but the community college is a better option for them, either location or financial. The gamut of why people come through our doors and choose education at community college, I think is sometimes lost in the data and the stories that are recently, there's something coming out, right? Just this week about all well, 50% of students leave, leave a community college without a credential. Well, maybe but maybe they weren't coming there to seek a credential. Maybe they were coming there to learn English. You know, all the reasons I just mentioned why they come to us. And I think it's short-sighted for policymakers and others to not recognize the gamut of value that a community college provides um, in the higher ed space in our country. So I feel really proud of, of what we do every day, you know, in the learners we serve at, we have almost 4,000 learners at our college. We're not a big college, but, but we serve a niche in our communities, even with a university very close to us. We do different things and we celebrate those differences and we help those who want to collaborate between the two. Well, I'd imagine it might be an advantage, um, you know, the, 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 the value of education, I feel like is being challenged maybe more so today than it ever has, you know, reading the newspaper, which is is very general in nature, talks about student debt over a trillion dollars. And also, you know, students out of high school or maybe that have not been in high school for a while are quick to, to jump at a job that pays a, you know, perceived high, high dollar value. What, how, can you speak a little bit to that? Because I would imagine there's advantages for a community college when it comes to that, but possibly disadvantages just because the value of education in general is being challenged. I think about that frequently, and we have conversations on our campus uh, frequently about that, you know, the, the cost of the education and the value of it at the end of the road. And again, I will say that this is why community colleges are so, so wonderful because they're affordable. Uh, we, we, are responsive to our communities regarding what tuition our students can bear and our communities want us to be charging. And are we fortunate that we get local in, in Illinois, we get local property taxes and we do get some state aid. Um, so, so it does help us. Our budgets are a fraction, truly a fraction of uh, some bigger universities when you look at cost per student, but our missions are also very different. You know, we're not doing the research. We're not housing them. We're not, we're not doing the same scope of work. So I, I can understand that, but I, I'm very happy with how we've been able to keep things affordable for our students and all the research out there, everything demonstrates, especially through the pandemic, how those to stay employed were people who had degrees. It's the nature of the work. And so I, I've never seen anything anywhere that hasn't demonstrated how if you, the more education you receive, the, on average, the higher your wages are and the less likely you are to be unemployed. So it's hard to argue with that. So, but, but I also understand that costs of education in some arenas are very, very high. But I think people need to look at their options and they need to be good consumers. 
and, and not chase a name, but chase a degree. And so maybe you, you know, we, it's like buying a product. You can buy a super expensive car or you can buy a car that you can afford and drive that will get you where you want to go. I think we almost have to look at college the same. Sure, everybody'd love to to drive a Porsche or Mercedes, but but maybe you can't afford that. And so again, we we are okay with at least I am with saying we provide a great service. We get you what you need. We get you where you want to be. And, and we're not going to maybe do it with all the bells and whistles that you might get somewhere else, but we have great people who do great services. And so I really think um, we need to be better consumers. You know, one of uh, uh, consumers of higher education, one of the things that um, I have felt for a long time in higher education, and I know that there is some work in this arena, but when students take out uh, student loans, because of the nature of transfer and moving and different sources and all of those kinds of things, people usually don't know what their total student debt is or what their repayment schedule is going to be until they're done. You take out a mortgage, you take out a car loan, you clearly see what it's going to cost you in repayment for how many years and how much per month. The shock to people, and I've known people who've done this, they don't understand the cumulative effect of taking out student loans for subsequent years from subsequent institutions. And pretty soon they're overwhelmed by the debt. I just don't think, and, and probably the majority of young people who, who I would say are uh, in our colleges, probably in our residential colleges who, who really um, get the highest amount of, of student loan debt don't understand, they haven't had life experience to understand what all that debt will mean. And, um, and that, that like the American dream, right? Chasing it bigger, higher, um, you know, the more prestigious. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that that isn't right for the right people. But I think in general, I think there are a lot of colleges out there that offer an affordable education, including community colleges, a great place to start and you won't end up with all that debt. So I think to some degree we're misguided right now in how we're helping people find higher education. Well, and so how do you make sure that you can help guide a student and help them understand? So for example, financial challenges of maybe taking out too much or, or accumulating too much debt, you know, a challenge there is that now that student will not complete. So, so how do you make sure that that these students, part of it's education, I guess, but how do, how do students understand, hey, I need to understand my, my financial disposition so that I fully can understand what it takes to, to complete a degree or, or get me where I need to go without having to stop? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I don't know if there's a good answer to that, because I, I think if... I think the logical, if it was a logical decision, I think more people would start at a community college, right? It's less expensive. You can stay close to home. If you have your support network around you, you're probably going to be more successful in school if someone's paying attention to what you're doing. But so many young people, and I would say I was included in that, they graduate from high school and they can't wait to get that taste of freedom and to get out and maybe the parents too and send their students off to school. 
So I think it is a matter of continuing to have those conversations. And we certainly do at Kish to have those conversations in our community, have those conversations in our high schools, have those conversations with parents, get to the parents as much as we can and talk about how expensive college is and how do we help mitigate some of those costs. But, you know, some people want what they want and, and the cost isn't, I hear that a lot. Cost isn't the biggest factor for me in going to college. I will say I'm hearing more though since COVID and I have a senior in high school this year. So I'm at prime, I'm at prime listening for what's going on <laughs> with our, our college going students. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing more about concern about money. And I'm really glad to hear that. I do believe that um, it's, it is more about more than money and everybody gets to decide why they want to go to school and what they want to do. But I do think money should be a consideration because those experiences of getting away and doing your thing and having a blast, you can do that at various points in your life. And it doesn't have to be at 18. And honestly, I share it like campus visit days and things, you know, the first two months are awesome. My daughter, my older daughter did that only applied at one school. It was the school I graduated from with my undergraduate. Couldn't wait to get there. Big college, big university, move into the dorm. And the fun lasted for about a month. And then the dorm wasn't so much fun anymore. And after the first semester, she came back home and went to the community college in our town uh, and then transferred to a more regional university, had an awesome experience, is doing fabulous as an adult. So I, I really think that it's that idea of, oh, where am I going? The prestige, the um, and not really thinking about what is this going to cost you? And are you going to be successful? They don't yeah. necessarily equate the cost to the success. They equate the cost to the fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I think we all have had a little bit of that experience in, in our lives, without a doubt. Um, so is it is it difficult to maintain, um, you know, top level faculty and staff and, and, you know, just maybe keep consistency at the community college? I don't think it was until COVID hit. I think mm -hmm. actually uh, the academic life is one that lots of people choose to be a part of. To spend your career transforming lives, to be in an occupation or an industry where that's what we focus on is, is um, helping people, you know, live the life they want to live. Wow. You know, every going oh, to work every yeah. day is awesome. So uh, that's, that's why I ended up back in education because that's exactly what I started to feel. I, I, I started to see it. I, I wanted to live that life and, and I got a taste of it and I was hooked. So that is really great. I do think um, COVID has made it harder for our organizations um, because I should say it's harder for our organizations in the areas where we compete with private industry. I think historically people liked working in education for the reasons I mentioned, the pay wasn't as good, but the benefits were nice. The schedule was kind of nice, got a little quieter in the summer, even if you worked summers. Um, and I, I just think people liked the lifestyle. But then after, as COVID hit and we had so many people leaving the job market, People in areas such as our business office, in HR, in marketing, now could sometimes double their salary in the private market. And so we have struggled with 
with keeping um, quality staff, I would say more than faculty. A faculty life is still a very unique life. But let me preface that with our, um, some of our career and technical education areas, computer information systems, nursing. We are struggling to find instructors in those areas. We are a union environment. So we don't have the opportunity to just pay market value for some of those occupational instructional areas. And, and I get it. We've talked to the faculty about it and they're like, you know, to some degree, that's all of us. You know, we, those of us who teach in biology or chemistry, we could go into private industry and make a whole lot more money too. Education's a choice. So, um, so I would say that that those areas we're going to have to deal with um, every time we just hired a nursing instructor and we all do the happy dance because we we found one who will come to work for us for the salary we can pay according to our union contract. So, so those areas of, in instruction are harder, but we don't have a lot of turnover in in our general studies or uh, other parts of our college as far as faculty. Once they're in the system, they really like. I think personally, I think they just really like the classroom and they, they too feel the joy of every day interacting with students who want to learn and want to transform their lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, as far as uh, career paths for these students or maybe the next step for these students, um, are you building relationships in, in the community, local, you know, local relationships or businesses? And also, do you have do you have feeder for your institutions that you work with? Yep. So we do work a lot in our community with our business um, partners. We have advisory committees for all of our career and technical education programs. They meet twice a year. It's industry professionals who advise us on industry trends, what we should be teaching in our curriculum. They internships are huge right now on the job experiences. So we have strong internship programs where we place our students in, in industry. Business partners are more than willing right now to work with us closely because they need employees. Mm -hmm. So that it, it, our partnerships with businesses are really strong. As I mentioned, we have Northern Illinois University, which is right down the road from us, six miles. 50% uh, of our students who transfer go to Northern. We have uh, 21 uh, major pathways on our website, which clearly helps our students see what courses they need to take at KISH to transfer to NIU in a desired major. We have an advisor from Northern on our campus uh, on a regular basis who comes and helps and works with our students. Um, Dr. Lisa Freeman and I are friends and talk on a fairly regular basis and really make sure we're doing what we can to collaborate to serve our students. Is there some competition? Well, there's sure there's some competition, especially in this environment where we're all hurting for enrollments. But I think we have to, we as educational leaders have to rise above that to do what's in the best interest of our students. And I, I do feel like we are able to do that. So we collaborate and we work together and, um, and really at times it's, it's tricky but but it, it's what we need to do. So now, um, yeah, individually, you know, one of the questions that um, you know I'm, I'm asked by students on our platform, um, and and they've asked me to ask presidents around it. when we talk about lifelong learning, how do you continuously learn? 
you know, what books do you read or what newspapers do you read or, or whatever the case may be? How do you continue to improve yourself? I read probably way too much. I think I drive my staff crazy with everything I'm learning. I definitely, um, my uh, strengths finder, my number one is input and has been for many years. I just like to take it in and learn. Uh, I just, the last book that I just completed, Imaginable by Jane McGonigal. I just finished um, that one. I read, um, I've got Mindset sitting on, I've read it already, I'm going to read it again. There's a lot going on right now uh, regarding entrepreneurism in the classroom and uh, how mindset plays into that. I'm a part of an organization, AFIT, the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation, and I'm on the executive committee and we're working on getting um, our summer uh, conference lined up. And what we do is bring in like business leaders, people outside of education. So busy just uh, studying, reading, listening to what's going on and entrepreneurial uh, mindset is, is the theme of our summer institute. So just doing a lot on um, futurists. I read Inside Higher Ed every day. I read Community College Daily every day. And our state uh, trustees association sends out lots of articles from other um, periodicals to uh, our listserv, our president's listserv. So I am constantly reading, studying best practices, figuring out how do we how do we continue to move forward given all the obstacles we face. It, it's really hard to constantly hear and constantly see our challenges, but we know we do good things. In fact, we know we do great things. And how do we keep our staffs motivated? And how do we keep our um, communities in a good place? You know, the first question I always get is, how's enrollments? Well, Enrollments are down, but we're still serving 4,000. We're still happy to serve 4,000 students every year. You know, so you, you just have to continue, you continue the narrative, right? And you have, to, you have to deal with reality, but you also have to find ways to keep doing the next best thing. And the only way we're going to do that is by reading and um, being informed and, uh, you know, continuing to go forward and, and figuring it out. And I like a challenge. So this is a big challenge right now. And we're, we're talking and every day we're like, what are we going to do next? And how are we going to do it? But I also have recognized, and I think COVID really taught me this, is that we have to pace it. That we, I probably as a president needed to recognize that, that while I I want to do everything I can to make Kishwaukee College the best college it possibly can be, right? Cutting edge. We're doing all the right things. We're, we're practicing best practices in online um, instruction. We've got a faculty innovation center. We're, we're doing everything. But at some point, people just need to catch their breath yeah. and to recognize that. Well, you're, you're doing a lot. I mean, there's no question about that. So let's put your, let's, let's get the crystal ball out here. Um, <laughs> where, where, where do you see Kishwaukee College in five years? Do, do you know, I, Brad, I wish I knew. 
<laughs> if anybody would have told me, if any, and I've said this, if anybody would have told me seven and a half years ago when I came to Kish that this is what my presidency was going to look like, a two-year budget impasse, declining enrollments of 7% a year, and a COVID pandemic that lasts almost three years, I would have been like, count me Unbelievable. out. Unbelievable, <laughs> right. <laughs> no you, way, you right? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? Um, but But I think that what I've learned through all of that is, you know what? You surround yourself with the right people and you can get through anything. And it's not so much about the strategy book on the shelf or the plans and the, all of those kinds of you know manuals available. It's your team understanding how to work, to work together at the college. Because if your leadership team can work together and are not siloed, then the people under them will do the same. And if we all do that so that universally throughout the organization, we're all rowing the boat together, so to speak, with our own specialties, finance, instruction, student services, HR, we're all kind of rowing the boat together, understanding what page we're on and we're collaborating. I frankly think you could pretty much throw anything at us and we would figure it out and we would get through it. Um, I think the previous comments about, you know, what am I reading? What am I doing? Um, It's been painful for me uh, to to see this this enrollment decline. And um, I didn't come from an institution where we, I think we were down 2% in the 16 years I had been there, like towards, <laughs> towards the end. I mean, we had such enrollment growth and we were just always cutting edge and doing things that really created new programming and new, new opportunities. And, and so to come to Kish and then lead a college and experience that has been painful. And just trying to figure out how do we make it work and how do we turn it around and what are we missing? What am I missing? What is the team missing? And really just coming to the conclusion that, you know what, some of this isn't in our control. All we can do is prepare and be ready and and look for opportunities to move forward. So we're going to be a college in five years. How we look, who we're collaborating with, who we're partnering with, I think will look different. I think we're going to have to figure some of those things out, but we will be a college and we will still be serving our students. Well, absolutely. And, it's, and you definitely have had a training ground that's very unique. <laughs> so you you are prepared. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, Dr. Lori Borowitz, thank you so much for your time. I feel like we could talk for several more hours. So thank you so much. I, I very much have enjoyed it. It's been a journey and I love to share it. So thank you, Brad. Absolutely. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.